Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast on TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook, and the former Sunderland and England defender, Mickey Gray. On today's pod, Sancho Saunter saves United, Leeds liven up after Jesse jilted, Conte could be back in the dugout, Jones could be out of his, and no one wants the Leeds job. Some derbies around this week as well, the Merseyside one, a London one, and an Eddie Howe one. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Adams robs Bruno Fernandes on the uh, midpoint of the United half and then Nonto strikes at the edge of the area and scores brilliantly. What a goal that is. The Leeds United fans go mad. He's now on the left-hand side playing in Somerville and it goes across the face of goal. Hits the hair and goes in. It's a second goal for Leeds United. Leeds United have stayed organised. They're very hard to break down. You can see that midfield area. They're all working for each other. And Man United are going to have to come up with the answer. Cross comes in towards Rashford with a header. Brilliant. What a leap. High into the air. Lancing the ball into the far corner. Manchester United are on the scoreboard. They're always on the scoreboard. Low ball through the box. Comes back to Sancho. Who shoots. It's in. They've come back from 2-0 down to get an equaliser. And it's Jadon Sancho. And a very big hello to Mickey Gray, you right? Good to see you, lads. Nice good morning. You. We're all in the same room today, which is quite good. Crook, you're here? I am. You're sitting on the podcast sofa. In, in the borrower's cave. In the borrower's cave, which you uh, <laughs> you don't like because it's got a low ceiling and you're a very tall man. I'm very claustrophobic at this moment in time. Yeah, well, you squeezing through the door was a, a task for you, wasn't it? <laughs> squeezing into the toilet was an even bigger one. <laughs> I don't think we need to go into that. Um, we were all at Manchester United against Leeds on Wednesday night and it was, uh, it was a fabulous game to watch from a neutral's perspective in terms of the entertainment factor. The football wasn't perfect, let's let's be honest about it. Manchester United started the game terribly in both halves, Mickey. They'll have to be a little bit sharper when they play Leeds this weekend. It was like they turned up when they'd already thought they'd won the game. It was it was a really bizarre start to the game, especially when you think about the form that United have been shown, Man United have been shown at, to, at home, at Old Trafford, 13 in a row. So I think it came as a shock to everybody, especially in that stadium, because the whole place just went silent. All you could hear was the Leeds United supporters, but it was full credit to them. After losing the manager, they wanted a, a reaction, and they certainly got that after 55 seconds, and it just gave them a platform to maybe go on and try and get something out of the game. Yeah, do you think that they played as well as they did. I mean, they, I think Leeds United have played okay over the course of the season. And we were talking to a Leeds fan late last night in which he was saying pretty much the same thing. Performances have been 
okay, but they just concede too many goals and they don't seem to get over the line. Um, but do you think they were liberated after Jesse Marsh being given uh, the boot? Was that the Leeds fan who didn't realise that Mickey Gray was an ex-Leeds player? He also refused to speak to you for quite a while <laughs> yeah, because you were so rude about his club. Um, I, I, I don't think the performance from Leeds was significantly different from what we've seen over the course of the season. I commentated Jesse Marsh's last game in charge against Forest in the first half of that game. They were excellent, just didn't take their chances. Last night, they were more ruthless, but as you say, once again, unable to turn a good performance into three points. I thought United for 70 minutes were as poor as they've been mm. for a long, long time. And I think, you know, we were speaking to some fans outside the, the stadium and over the course of the day, asking if United were title contenders. They can't be considered as such due to the lack of squad depth. You know, how much do they miss Casemiro and Eriksen in midfield? Well, they're terribly so. And uh, when I spoke to Eric Ten Hag afterwards, he refused to speak about that. Um, but I wonder why he didn't put um, Lissandro Martinez in a central midfield position, someone who's played there on a regular basis. He could quite easily have put Victor Lindelof at the heart of defence, where he is a more regular player, and played Martinez in the centre of the park. He actually did the other way around, didn't he, and put Lindelof in the middle of the park for the last few minutes of the game. Could he do that on Sunday afternoon? Might he think about changing that engine room? I think there'll be a lot of changes on Sunday. We saw that um, Sancho came off the bench. He made an impact. I think the younger players who were given an opportunity didn't really step up to the plate. Um, they just didn't get the balance right in that midfield area. And I think that game on Wednesday night against Leeds United showed how vulnerable Man United can be. And everybody thinks that Man United are title contenders. I think that game in itself showed that they're not. Uh, rather bullishly, uh, you still said last night that Leeds would go down. They're rubbish. They haven't got a decent squad. They're worse off than, than Everton. I disagree with you, by the way, in terms of squad. I think they've got a better squad than Everton. I think they've got more firepower in their squad. Definitely more pace in their squad than Everton have. Yeah, but a lot of that pace is, is raw potential. I, I really like Nonto. But why are you so bullish about them going down? I mean, obviously, because you don't like Leeds and you were sort of trying to taunt their supporters. Well, I was frustrated that it was two were, drop points you? for you Manchester United you were when I made that claim. Last night, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was quite agitated. I think Charles Martial ever getting fit. By the way, I doubt it, mate. You know, Veghorst struggled as well. But um, you had to go at him as well, didn't you? You called him a donkey. And then this morning when you woke up, you said that you felt bad about that. <laughs> Did I? Yeah. <laughs> um, but in terms of Leeds, I, I just think, I think the relegation battle, actually, as much as there's a lot of teams in close proximity in terms of points, I think it's a smaller relegation battle than we think because I don't see that West Ham are going to go down. Leicester will not go down. Uh, I think Wolves under Lopetegui will stay up relative ease mm. so you're looking at Bournemouth and Southampton for me are doomed and then who's the third team I, I think Sean Dyche can keep Everton up so therefore it brings Leeds into play well we had a discussion about this last night actually when we were chatting about potential candidates for going down and I said I think someone will fall from the pack now that pack is quite congested above Everton isn't it Leeds West Ham Wolves Leicester Nottingham Forest uh, Crystal Palace all within six points of one another, Mickey. Can you see someone from that group dropping as potential relegation contenders as the season develops? But bearing in mind, we're only in the 21st and 22nd games of the season here. There's still a long, long way to go. Can I first start by saying I thought Nottingham Forest a month ago were doomed. Mm. They've, they've completely turned it around Did and they've really surprised the me. Podcast? Do you not listen on a weekly Sorry, basis? I was um, I was I was busy that day, so I might have been covering a game. Yeah, but October, I, October, 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 October,
we sort of pointed them in the direction that maybe Nottingham Forest would stay up. That's because Steve Cooper's your mate. You also said Frank Lampard would save Everton. <laughs> but what, what is... Everton wouldn't go down, there's a difference. <laughs> I think what Steve Cooper's obviously had to do, I mean, look, 23 new faces in the summer, then more signings in the January window. Yeah. Probably not all of his signings. I think we all agree on that. So he's had to work with those players through a period of time and come in front of the camera and obviously try and build up his side as much as he possibly can. But he's had to try and find the best 11 or maybe the best 13 or 14. And I think he's now starting to do that. The cup competitions at time did them the world of good. Then some big performances. I, I, I remember the Liverpool game, albeit you know they didn't play well in the game, but they actually won it. That is absolutely huge moving forward. They've got themselves now into a decent enough position where you would think, right, as I mentioned there before, four or five weeks ago, I thought they were doomed yeah. with the other two sides that you mentioned there before. But it's so hard to pick a third side when Everton have put in a, a stellar performance against Arsenal. Just the one, though. Yeah, you don't know whether they can keep that up. The Merseyside derby is absolutely massive for them. Absolutely huge. If they can get something from that, that's Sean Dyche on side. That's the players, obviously, a little bit more confidence. Uh, the other side, Leeds United, have they got enough? I think they have firepower, as you mentioned there before, but I think defensively and how vulnerable they can be, they get themselves into command and position and then they just slip up when they give goals away, they concede goals, they lose points and that is relegation zone. 15 points given away from winning positions for Leeds United who haven't won at Old Trafford since 1981. They might not ever get a better chance after leading by two goals to nil and then surrendering that advantage. Jaden Sancho came off the bench, was particularly good. He may well play uh, at the weekend. Um, I thought he, he he did a terrific job and the crowd have taken to him, haven't they? They've sort of nurtured him back to full health. When he came on the other night in the cup game, they gave him a rousing reception. They yeah. were delighted to see him last night and even more delighted that he got his goal. Marcus Rashford scored for the sixth consecutive home game. He's still in great form without playing very well, actually, in that game against Leeds. They'll expect more from him away from home. And at Ellen Road, actually, Leeds have drawn four of their last eight home matches. Um, so you never know. They might well end up pulling out a point uh, this weekend as well. Monday night, it is the Merseyside derby and Everton uh, will go across Stanley Park to Liverpool. And Everton are heading into that game in confident form. And they probably think to themselves they might be able to get something from a Liverpool team who still haven't won in the Premier League in 2023. Yeah, but their record is uh, is appalling, isn't it? Um, as you've already alluded to. They've, so They've won there once, I think, in about 23. Four years, and that, and that was in lockdown. Was lockdown, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but again, you know, with the form that Liverpool are in, I, I think there's deep rooted problems at Anfield. This is an opportunity. If if, if Everton go there, I was going to call them Burnley. Then going to do a Mikel Arteta. If Everton go there and are organised, they're disciplined, uh, that they're willing to dig in. I, I think they might have an opportunity to at least avoid defeat because Liverpool are there for the taking. For me, you know, I saw them at Brighton in the league, and they were dreadful even worse against Wolves at the weekend. So I think this is a huge opportunity for the Toffees. And imagine if Sean Dyche could start his reign with victories cool. against the Premier League leaders and in the Merseyside derby. What a springboard that would be. It was a typical Dyche performance, wasn't it, against uh, Arsenal last Saturday. And they'll need a similar level of work rate to get anything from Liverpool. But anyone who's watched Liverpool in the last few weeks knows that defensively, they are absolutely abysmal. Their hesitation... And dawdling at the back is crippling. And if those goals they conceded on Saturday against Wolverhampton Wanderers beg the question, what has happened to some of those players? Joel Matip, who had a terrible game. Alisson, who's been brilliant, probably one of the best goalkeepers in the league over the course of the season, made serious mistakes during that match. Trent Alexander-Arnold just does not have a radar for danger. 
And Joe Gomez is coming to the team and even he looks crippled by the same sort of anxieties that everybody else is facing. Where does that come from? I think throughout all of the season, Sam, everybody's been pinpointing where the problems are at Liverpool. Now, you can touch on Virgil van Dijk being out of the team, but he didn't have a great season until his injury. Midfield area, which has been a problem for them throughout the whole of the season. It's age in midfield. It, it needed changing. How much have they missed Sadio Mane? I keep bringing that up because he brought the dynamism for me to that Liverpool eleven. I thought he was just an incredible player. Hold really on, Mickey. Mickey. You've just said that the problems that Liverpool have got are defence, midfield and attack. That's yeah. the whole team. <laughs> so but what, I, that, that's what I... Th- so what happens with Jurgen, Jurgen Klopp then? Should he be held more to account, do you think? I think he has to be, yeah, because he's let it go stale. Um, you look at that midfield we've known for a couple of seasons that they needed some energy in that midfield area because those players were always going to age and at some point the way that Liverpool play it was going to catch up with them well it's caught up with them and they've been left behind there's all this talk about Jude Bellingham going to Liverpool because they've been so brilliant over the last three or four seasons Jude Bellingham is now probably looking at and thinking is that the right club for me to go to I don't think he's going to go to Liverpool personally I think he'd probably go to Real Madrid and have four or five seasons there and then maybe come to the Premier League I think that is what will happen with with Jude Bellingham so who do Liverpool go out and get because they keep going out and they keep buying forward players when they don't really need any more I look at the midfield, the defence, as you touched on there before. They've just not got it right this season. So Jurgen Klopp at the beginning of the season, I can't remember the game which it was, but he said, I'm going to have to change the way we play because of the personnel that he had. But they haven't, have they? they no, they're not. They still play that high line. They still try to play that high press and they still get getting beaten over the top and there's too many gaps in front of Alisson. In the first half against Wolverhampton Wanderers last week, they managed just one shot on target and they were 2-0 down by the 12th minute. Mm. So Everton, you would expect to go on the front foot and make a, a fast start, wouldn't you? Because that's how they approached the game last weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a recipe for success against Arsenal. And as I say, this Liverpool side don't have the fear factor that they once did for all the reasons that Mickey alluded to. I don't see Jude Bellingham choosing Liverpool. In fact, I was told this week that Real Madrid are, are fairly bullish about their chances of signing yeah, Jude I Bellingham. I don't think that's a real question, is it? I mean, um, uh, the only question for me was that whether or not Manchester City would try to hijack it or Chelsea would swoop in at the last minute and play him, you know, 700 grand a week or something. On a 15-year contract. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, but, but I think the, the family had already decided on Real Madrid, from what I understood. Yeah, so, you know, what, where did Liverpool go from there? Because I can't see them being at the table for, for Declan Rice. There aren't that many top quality holding midfielders around. Um, Liverpool failed to win any of their four Premier League matches in 2023. Earlier on, when Everton were really bad uh, this season, they managed to get a nil-nil draw against Liverpool. That was live on TalkSport. And Monday night's game is also live on TalkSport. Jota has returned to full training this week, but the derby comes a little bit too soon for him to be back uh, on the team. A potential return, though, for Virgil van Dijk, which is desperately, desperately Needed. Right, let's get to the top of the table and Saturday's clash between the Gunners and the Bees. Arsenal still on top and look on target for their first league title in 19 years, despite that defeat at Everton. But how they bounce back from that game is going to be all important, isn't it? It's all about character building and character within that dressing room and the manager trying to get them back to winning ways, Sam, because they're not going to get a better chance to win the Premier League this season. Um, they're going to have disappointments, which they had against Everton. Nobody saw that coming at all. I think everybody in that stadium was maybe expecting a performance from Everton, but they got more than that. Um, there was something missing from Arsenal that day. We were actually there. 
which, uh, you know, that was one of the best atmospheres in a stadium that I've been for a long, long time. But I just look through the squad that they've got and I just think Arsenal have got quality. I really do. I mean, everybody talked, didn't they? Oh, Jesus is going to be missing for a long period of time. Who's going to take his place? Well, then Nketiah comes in. You look at the two wide players. They're not going to play as poorly as that again. Martinelli and Saka. Interesting, though, that you say they've got quality in their squad. And they have. They've got new additions. Trossard, Jorginho, Jakob Kivio has come into the squad as well. But have they got the kahunas? And that's the big question that's always levelled against Arsenal. Mikel Arteta trying to change that narrative and change the mentality of the group. I mean, look, they've got a very young team. I think they've uh, uh, they've got the youngest average starting eleven. They've named the uh, the youngest starting eleven in the uh, in the league nine times out of twenty this season. So they obviously do need a little bit more experience than they, you would have thought. But this will teach them quite a lot and tell us a lot about them, won't it? How they come back because Brentford. I mean, there are they're a team that will test your character at the best of times. Yeah, as Arsenal found out previously, but I actually did this game, the reverse meeting in West London, and mm. Arsenal were really impressive. Well, we did day. it, on, it was live on Talk Sport, wasn't it? And um, we did it with Scott Minto, and I think that was probably Arsenal's best performance of the season. They smothered Brentford from minute one. Yeah, they did. So, uh, no doubt, Mikel Arteta will try and do the same. But I think this is going to be a big indicator of how seriously we can take Arsenal this season. They've <laughs> lost their last two games uh, in League and Cup. Their home record is still formidable if they were to drop more points against Brentford I think we can then we can then start talking about a serious mm. wobble if they, if they win the game uh, as they have bounced back from adversity in the past then I think they'll pass that test of character what a job Brentford's Thomas Frank's done at Brentford yeah I mean it's just sensational really when you think of um, Ivan Tony centre forward who's now starting to progress and be a, a top quality Premier League player to actually keep him at the club there was interest from him. I think that was important. You look at the forward players that they've got, the organisation, people like Ben Mee coming into the squad. What a free transfer squad. that's been. Unbelievable. Ben you know, I think at the beginning of the season, there was talk about the two centre-halves, let's say. Tarkowski leaving, going to Everton. He had a great start to the season. He struggled of late, albeit he had a brilliant game against Arsenal. But Ben Mee, I mean, you talk about bringing someone in with a little bit of experience, some know-how when things aren't going your way. He's been absolutely outstanding. Yep, terrific. No side has scored more goals from set pieces in the Premier League this season than Brentford. Do you expect a set piece onslaught for Aaron Ramsdale and his back line to have to deal with? Potentially, although I think Aaron Ramsdale, when it comes to commanding his penalty area, is one of the best keepers in the league. And defensively, Arsenal have been impressive this season. They've got a centre-back playing at right-back, so that will mm. help in terms of, of extra height. I think midfield is key. Um, a lot was made of, of Christian Eriksen's departure, having really played a big part in Brentford staying up last season but people like Matthias Jensen have really stepped up yeah. to the plate this Norgard season coming in his absence massive, mm. um, asset to them as well because he is like the, the engine in that room isn't he he's the one that keeps them ticking over and he adds a little bit of protection to the back four as well talk to me about Mikel Arteta and pressure because the little jibe was it a jibe I don't know if it was a jibe or whether he was just you know slip of the tongue when he did a crook and called them Burnley um, <laughs> last weekend. Is that just sort of a sign that the pressure is getting to him? I mean, they're all very spiky, aren't they, at the top of that table? You look at Pep, very agitated at yeah. the moment. Now we know why, I think. Um, the uh, Arteta, Klopp, obviously, is losing his, his head a little bit. Does it show just how competitive, I suppose, the title race is this year and the division is this year that those big-name managers know that they have to deliver? 
Well, they've come to the party, Arsenal, haven't they? Because over the last three or four seasons, it's been Liverpool and Manchester City. But does he feel like he's in a position where he knows he's not going to be in again? Like It's going to be very difficult for Arsenal to have such a healthy lead over Manchester City, Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, everybody else, mm. Manchester United. This does he, does he know, and is that why he's starting to feel the, the pressure a little bit, that this is their best chance that they are going to get to win a title since the Invincibles. Well, I don't know if you agree with this, but he's in he's in unknown territory because he hasn't been there before. Yeah. Um, well, he's so, been there as an assistant, which yeah, will help. Yeah, which will help. And I mean, he's obviously been at the top of the table with the best, but I think it's so different, Crookie, of being a number two and listening to a manager in a dressing room and see how he's done it. And he's obviously done it before he's actually come to the Premier League. Yes, you can soak some of that up when you can take it on board. But when it's you who has to walk into that dressing room and keep getting the best out of your players every single week, that's a different domain altogether. Yeah, uh, it'd be fascinating to see what happens over the course of the next few weeks, bearing in mind that uh, we are still 16, 17 games away from the end of the season. It feels, because we're in February, like we're coming towards the running. Yeah. We are not. This season goes on till June, folks, uh, because of the World Cup hiatus. So we're only really halfway through, uh, which is good news for Bournemouth because they need points desperately and they might get one against Newcastle United. What do you think? Well, we were talking about this, weren't we, after the game uh, with, with Adrian Durham and he absolutely dismissed our claim. He didn't but put his money where his mouth was, though, did he? Well, it, we sort of suggested that we might have a bet and he went, no, 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 save your money. He started off by going big, though, and then backed off. Yeah, he was quite bullish at the start, yeah, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Um, but I think, it, I, think. <laughs> I think we both feel that, that Bournemouth have an opportunity here. They, they played well against Brighton, uh, conceded a late goal as they have in each of their last two games. I think Dongo Watara uh, has made an impact. Hamed uh, Junior Traore did well in midfield as well. So I think they've made some, some good additions to the squad. And Newcastle, for me, aren't quite firing as they were at the start of the season. No, Bruno uh, Guimaraes uh, has been a big loss for them. They're struggling to put teams to bed, as we saw against West Ham. I think Bournemouth are more than capable of getting a point in, in what's going to be quite an emotional occasion because it will be the first time that Eddie Howe has returned to the vitality as an opposing manager. I'm not sure he's totally looking forward to the occasion. Uh, Newcastle aren't beaten in their last 16 Premier League games. It's the longest current run without defeat in the competition. They just do not lose games. As a former Sunderland player, you must be loving the surgeons. <laughs> <laughs> what could you say? Well, I mean, what do you get co- irritated by it? I mean, seriously, as a, Sunderland, as a Sunderland man, do you look at them and you just think, oh, God, that could have been us? No, not no. anymore. So I, I, I maybe when I was playing, if I'd have seen the, the, the takeover and, and how much money they're, they're going to be able to spend and where they're going to be over the next... It doesn't irk you anymore? Not really, no. Not as not as much as when you used to play because um, that was your biggest rival when you were at Sunderland, absolutely. And that was the game that you looked for straight away at the beginning of the season. What he has done, I think they've been very astute in the transfer market. I think pretty much every signing that they've made has, has worked for them. You could maybe say one or two need to do a little bit more, but organisation, keeping clean sheets, their home form's absolutely terrific. Are they entertaining as much as they did at the beginning of the season? I think no. Certainly over the last three or four games when I've seen them, they look as if they're hanging on at times. They're they're a bit of a purist watch, aren't they? I mean, I think you could admire them because of the way that they're set up and tactically they're so aware, Mm. but they don't get you off you'll see no. very often. It's they? almost the complete opposite to the Bournemouth teams that Eddie Howe built, where you know you always were guaranteed entertainment because they always conceded goals, they score plenty. Eddie Howe can't set up a team to defend, can he? Well, I think Jason Tindall uh, deserves a fair amount of credit for that, as do, I understand do, it. Do you think that the people who said that about Eddie Howe are eating their words now? I mean, we've been big defenders of Eddie because we've known him for 20 years, but um, the fact is, is that he did get a lot of stick towards the end of his Bournemouth reign. 
wasn't given much of a chance when he went into Newcastle and he needs to be praised, doesn't he? I think he's learned to be more of a delegator. Uh, at Bournemouth, he was in charge of absolutely everything, all of the training. I think he, he does now leave his coaching staff to work on the defensive side of the game and um, I think that sabbatical that he took probably did him good, probably made him a better manager by not being in the dugout because it gave him the opportunity to do a bit of soul searching and maybe correct some of his faults. Sorry, you wanted to big up your mate, Jason Tindall. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think he, he does a lot of the defensive coaching from what I'm told. So, Could you get some style tips off Jason Tindall? Because he is a very well-presented man. Well, you, uh, Mrs. Crook you, has... You Mrs. struggle Crook, on that front, don't you? Mrs. Crook has a bit of a crush on Jason Tindall. Yeah, does she? <laughs> yeah, she does. Did you know that he got uh, ejected from the pub that we were in before you arrived last night because he was wearing the wrong clobber? You? Yeah, he did. Did you? <laughs> Isn't that true? I'd come straight from the game and, and was wearing uh, a football top in the looser sense. Two football tops you were actually wearing. Okay. It was cold. Uh, it was, it was cold. <laughs> I'm not surprised he dropped and his they phone. they made him go outside, take his top off in front of everybody. He told us he dropped wrong. his phone in the stadium. I he think he threw phone. it on the ground after yeah. he got kicked out of the hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He dropped it. He dropped his phone, smashed it, had to come over to uh, Shane Matterface to get a replacement phone, didn't he? <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good one, though. I've had an upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> I think you, know, you have as well. You know, if I could just touch him back on Newcastle, though, I think what's interesting with Newcastle and Eddie Howe is I think everybody's interested on what journey they're actually on and how far they can go with it. Well, this season they'll hope to get into the top four, maybe win a trophy, and then build from there. Bournemouth just want to stay in the division, but they keep conceding goals. In fact, they've conceded more goals than any other side uh, this season. And they haven't won since the World Cup break. I don't think that they'll beat Newcastle, but I think they'll get a point. Do you think that's possible? Well, I haven't spoke to you guys last night. Um, you, you were quite interested and you were quite buoyed about them getting a point against Newcastle. We convinced you, is that what you're saying? No, no, I don't think it's convincing me. I just don't think Newcastle is playing as well as what they have done. I think that that, that puts them more on a level playing field. And no, I think away from home... Much, Mickey. We, we suggested that Burnley would get double relegated. <laughs> Do you know what I, I know I know quite a few of the backroom staff at uh, at Newcastle and um, I, I caught up with a couple of them that begin the season. Do you it? know they absolutely they, they fly everywhere. Yeah. You know it's Newcastle well, to. to Manchester. They have to really, don't they? I mean, it's well they don't have to. It's I mean it's a two and a half what two and a half nearly three hours from Manchester to, to Newcastle. What is it on a plane? Twenty minutes? Yeah, I mean that's just ridiculous. Good on the carbon footprint, I'm sure. Um, it's not very good on the carbon <laughs> footprint. But not much that uh, uh, happens uh, in terms of uh, travelling around for football matches is good for the carbon footprint. Anyway, uh, let's move on because uh, we've got Manchester City, Aston Villa to talk about, Southampton, Wolves, and whether or not um, Nathan Jones is going to keep his job. And Leicester Tottenham to talk about. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. 
no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. And it's a goal on debut for Mateus Cardoso Lemos Martins, otherwise known as Tete. He'll agreed, we're told, for Harry Suter, the Stoke City centre half, £15 million fee to take him to Leicester. We've had a, a great lift with the guys coming in. It's what the team needed. Kane! And Harry Kane has done it! He has broken Jimmy Greaves' record. It is Tottenham 1, Manchester City 0. The next question is, where does he get to? Because he could quite easily get to what? 350? He can do everything. Doesn't just score goals. He leads the line, links the player. One of the best footballers this country's ever seen. Harry Kane, the record breaker. Spurs head into the match uh, with Leicester without Christian Romero following his red card against uh, Manchester City, which is a problem for them because he's probably their best defender, even though he likes to dive in at uh, the earliest opportunity. Why he got involved? in opposition territory like that. I don't know. It was a bit mad, really, wasn't it, uh, in that game against Manchester City. Antonio Conte could be back in the dugout, which is amazing. Bearing in mind, he's just had a gallbladder removed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think Tottenham fans and players will be pleased to see him back. No Hugo Lloris either, which is a, a, a big blow. A blessing. Fraser Forster, have you seen him play? <laughs> Hugo Lloris. Just, just tell Leicester to keep shooting to his <laughs> left-hand side. I'm, I'm being churlish, but I have thought for a while that it's probably time now that Hugo Lloris has moved on in, if Tottenham want to compete for top honours. Do you agree with that? Is that a little bit... I think, he's I think he's, you can't sort of do yeah absolutely but everybody keeps going back to oh he's won the World Cup this is what he's done in his career so far you can't keep doing it because I, I keep seeing and it's not every week but I keep saying mis- mistakes from him um, and you can't you can't rely on somebody like that every single week you No, know, we've been talking about Hugo Lloris I think probably in the Premier League for the last three seasons saying that they need change there's been talk of Jordan Pickford was another one that I think got mentioned I'm not too sure if whether it was in the summer or January but I certainly think it's an area that um, they need to they need to change. Have Tottenham been negligent in not strengthening that position? Potentially, uh, Fraser Forster seemed a strange uh, addition uh, as a number two goalkeeper because obviously there's always a risk of injury, and I just don't think if you're talking about a, a top four challenge, he is he is up for being uh, a number one. Well, there's so, always a risk of injury with Hugo Lloris because he often gets them. Yeah, I, I think they like David Raya. At, uh, at Brentford, I think okay. he's a target for the summer, but um, you know whether they can get him out there or not is a, is a different matter. How expensive would that be? Well, I think his contract is due to expire at the end of next season, so maybe not as much as you think, unless uh, Brentford can tie him down to a new deal. Um, other than the previous fixture against Aston Villa, Leicester have failed to win in the Premier League since November, but that was a timely boost, wasn't it, against Unai Emery's team? Um, it's important now that they start to put some performances together because they've got a tough set of fixtures ahead of them. After Spurs, they've got Manchester United and Arsenal to come. And they're one that could possibly drop, I think, from the pack and end up fighting against relegation again as they were earlier in the season. Yeah, I think you took the words out of my mouth there, Sam, because um, it's just not been a brilliant season at all for Leicester. I think we were all shocked and surprised to see how many players were actually leaving there in the summer. 
and how quickly all the deals were actually getting done. And then you realise how much Leicester, I think, owed back into the football club. I think there's just been um, £200 million paid off. I think that was the figure that was getting the branded about. off the loans, didn't they? Yeah. Um, they've obviously brought in a couple of new fresh faces in the January window. Um, I, I'm, I'm one of those, I think, I think they've actually, they've got too much not to get relegated. I think they could actually get dragged into it, but I, I do think they've got enough to get 40 points or 40 plus points on the table. an interesting conversation about Leicester the other night, actually, with someone who was telling me about the details of the fact that, you know, Manchester City are getting a lot of stick right now because they've been charged by the Premier League with breaking FFP rules. But go back many years, maybe 10 and it was Leicester who were spending more money than everybody else in the EFL, were under sanction from the EFL about how much money they'd paid their players and how much money they'd spent in regards to FFP. Fell foul, but got promoted out of the EFL before they could be sanctioned, then won the Premier League after using, maybe bending the rules to get out of the championship, and then... I've never gone back since, but they had to pay, I think, about a £3 million fine. In the so there was no sanction of points deduction, even though they jumped into well, the Premier League? Well, they, they, there's no sanction because... Uh, uh, points two different organisations. Two different organisations. So the EFL can't sanction them in the Premier League. So if they actually got relegated, they would get sanctioned and might get a points deduction. Well, that may have happened if they had been in the EFL, but in the end, they settled on a fine because they could impose a fine and Leicester would pay it because it was a football organisation. But... They couldn't have any sort of sporting sanctions because they were not under the auspices of the Are NFL. you putting a big asterisk next to their miracle title when maybe it wasn't that miraculous <laughs> no, after all? I'm just saying, saying that maybe we should remember that it's not just about Manchester City when we're talking about this. I mean, you mentioned about the loans being paid off. Let's remember that Chelsea obviously had a hell of a lot of investment from Roman Abramovich and all that was written off by the, uh, the former owner as well. Mm. So... You know, when Manchester City are getting heavily criticised, and look, if they have broken any rules, then they should be sanctioned for that. But let's not pretend that they're the only people that that, that that do it. I think that's probably worth pointing out. They take on Aston Villa this weekend. Villa have failed to win in their last five meetings with Manchester City. I don't think Aston Villa are a very good crook. No. Um, I, I think the squad still needs a fair amount of work. I think Unai Emery... <laughs> has made them more organised. They're not particularly expansive, but I guess that's the Unai Emery way. I mean, I don't see them as one of the teams that could be dragged into trouble, but I think you can only really judge Unai Emery once he's had a, a summer transfer window to try and mould the team in his own image. I know there were a couple of targets that he had in in this most recent transfer window that, that didn't come off. But yeah, they're, they're not particularly attractive and I don't think you can make too much of a case for them winning at the Etihad. Would you, do you think Watkins and Bailey are good enough? To I, keep Aston Villa safe, I like Watkins. I like his endeavour. Um, Goals, yeah. May, maybe needs to work on that element of his game. <laughs> Bailey's a funny one, isn't he? Because he he struggles to stay fit. He struggles for consistency. I think there's a good player in there, but I think you can see why his former club let him go. Mm. They don't score too many goals, do they? And that has been a massive problem for them. They uh, beat Leeds recently, and they beat Southampton. But they, they were lucky also, to beat Leeds, and, and they were lucky to get a point against Wolverhampton Wanderers. I was there for that game. And they were very fortunate in that match to come away uh, with a point. So it'll be interesting. I mean, they even got beat by Liverpool. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's a demanding club. <clears throat> when I sit, when I see Aston Villa every single season, I think the expectations at that club because yeah. it's such a massively supported club, but they just never seem to reach the level that the supporters maybe expect them to. Well, they did under uh, I think um, Martin O'Neill. They did 
I think several sixth place finishes. And then, and then he wasn't back. Or so he, he said he wasn't money, back. So he decided to, to go off because mm. it was pointless for them. That was in the mid 2000s, wasn't it, really? Maybe at the latter. They end. were good in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that, do you? I do, yeah. yeah. First year of the Premier League, they ran United close, if you remember. Yeah, I, I do. Dean Saunders, Daley Atkinson. You're just showing your age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last time that your clothes were in fashion, actually, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. Quick, ring Jason Tyndall, get some <laughs> advice what to do next. Do you think uh, Manchester City could be distracted in any way, shape or form by what's happening off the pitch? I mean, they've been very indifferent, Bullish. I think, over the course of the last few weeks <clears throat> in terms of their performances. They've been better in the second half than they have in the first half of matches. But yeah, Crook said bullish there. He was talking about the response mm. from the, uh, the, the club. They were always going to do that. I mean, you know, that's how they run their business. That's how they uh, attack everything. They're always on the front foot in terms of um, responses to any sort of allegations. But in terms of the players themselves, do they get affected by what's happening off the pitch? Well, I think you could actually do a full podcast on this. I really do, because, um, you know, where, where do you think the problems are? I go to Manchester City's press conferences. I think there's a difference in Pep Guardiola when he gets asked questions. Um, yeah. I think he's... he's well, we thought that was something to do with the dressing room, didn't we? I, and that may be the case still. But I, I wondered now, after what's come out... Maybe he knew, bearing in mind that he'd made that big statement in that May. lied to me, I will leave, mm. that maybe he's thinking to himself, well, no, all's not what it seems. But then then if you go to the playing side of things, Sam, I mean, you let one of the best fullbacks in the world, you let him go to Bayern Munich and you don't replace him. He said to, in the press conference, he said he had three days to make a decision. He said the conversation lasted about 30 seconds with the owners, that he didn't want to replace Joe, Joe Cancelo. Is that because he wants to rely on younger players who've been given an opportunity, have got themselves into the starting eleven, who are not on the same level as Cancelo? Rico Lewis has done ever so well, but he's not Joao Cancelo. And you look at Man City, they've been building up to try and win Champions League. I don't think that you're going to do that with people like Rico Lewis in the starting eleven. I really well, he's don't. He's a very talented player, by without the way, a doubt. But he's, still, eighteen years of yeah, age. absolutely. Uh, I think the centre half situation's been a bit of a problem. I know they've had injuries at certain times, but when they've been fit, the likes of John Stones, Diaz, he's left them on the bench. So there seems to be concern there as well. I think the midfield area when. Tottenham game, for instance, at the weekend. Why do you leave Kevin De Bruyne on the bench when you've not scored a goal at Tottenham's new stadium? Gundahan, a little bit of guile and creativity in that midfield area. I just there's, there's something a little bit different, and we've talked about Erling Haaland, if you want. Has he made Man City better? Well, I think they've scored similar amount of goals than what they did last season without a striker. Um, I see the football at City play on a regular basis. So I'm sure you two guys obviously do as well, but... It's not the same for me. Well, we talked a little bit about this on uh, the last podcast and not hitting his runs quick enough. He makes great runs. No one spots them. Maybe he's not in the right sort of team. Maybe he needs a different type of <coughs> setup to get the best out of him. Pep Guardiola, uh, was he being um, belligerent by deciding that once he was challenged by Joao Cancelo, right, that's it, you're off. I'm setting, making um, a statement. I'm laying the law down, making sure that his authority is in question. Or uh, when he said he didn't want to replace Jao Cancelo, was it because maybe they just haven't got the money anymore? Well, again, that's going to be really interesting come the summer, you know, if they are at the table for Jude Bellingham uh, or not, while these char charges hang over their head. It could take between two and four years for any of this. Years, the way that the last one went on. <laughs> to, to reach still be here in 2024. 
seven going <laughs> what's happening but but it does I think it does uh, you know put a cloud over the, the football club and uh, I'm fascinated to see when Mickey goes and sees Pep Guardiola on Friday morning yeah how he responds because there aren't going to be too many questions about taking on Aston Villa at the weekend. That is for sure. But I mean, the Jao Cancelo one didn't make a lot of sense because it's another player going out the door that weakens the squad. And they did that in the summer with the likes of Zinchenko and Jesus and Sterling. So, you know, Manchester City look a little bit threadbare for me. Let's move on to Southampton against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, the Has headline- Nathan Jones been there too long? <laughs> He's in the last chance saloon. That is for sure. Um, it's not too difficult to keep up with the Joneses although it is trying to, difficult to keep up with his ridiculous and outlandish at times statements because he cannot stop talking can he what a, what a quote that was nobody is better around, around Europe than me I was just like at, at what in I was I was just gobsmacked and I, yeah he didn't really kind of explain it did he it was just maybe his stats and his work ethic I think that was two of the things that he was talking about but how does he know how does he know what the other coaches are doing and how does he know what... Um, does he really think that? Or was that just... It was about when he was at Luton more than Southampton. Nobody could match me when I was at Luton. My stats were up there with anybody around Europe. I mean, <laughs> seriously? I, I think there's a lot of insecurity uh, around Nathan Jones, which is why he comes out with, with some of the statements that he does. I think you'll also find that when he addresses the media before this game, his tone will be very different. I would imagine he's... Had his collar felt. So it might be his last one. So are you telling me that maybe the the, the the powers that be have said to him, tone it down a little bit? Is that what you're telling me? I don't think they were particularly happy uh, with those post-match interviews after the Brentford right. game. And I do think if Southampton lose this weekend, I think they will lose. Uh, I think there's every chance it could be his last game. Well, he's only been in charge for how many matches? I think he's had Nine? seven in Nine. the Premier League. Right, OK. So Lost six of them. Nine matches, in, nearly ten matches in all competitions. Uh, not particularly impressive uh, run and certainly not great recruitment. And you would have thought, and we've said this a, a hundred times on this on this podcast, because we all knew that Ralph Harsen was getting the bullet. Uh-huh. Southampton therefore clearly knew that he was getting the bullet. Why on earth didn't they not have someone with a little bit more experience? And what was Rasmus Ankerson's re- response when he was asked about uh, why they employed Nathan Jones at a fans forum last week? It was because they'd Id- identified weaknesses in the team at uh, keeping clean sheets and defending from set pieces. And Nathan Jones was particularly good at that. In fact, <laughs> if you spoke to Nathan Jones, he'll tell you he was the best in Europe at it. Uh, Wolves remain the lowest goal scorers in the Premier League, but they got three against Liverpool. In fact, 20% of their goals so far this season came from last week's head-to-head with Liverpool. Uh, in the last four Premier League fixtures between these two sides, Wolves have come out on top, and I think we're all expecting that to happen. Our game day, by the way, starts at the London Stadium on Saturday, 12.30 West Ham against Chelsea. Um, I said to you, well, we should probably devote a little bit more time to talking about this. Crook, and you said to me, well, it's just a mid-table game, isn't it? <laughs> that, 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 that was mainly to get a rise out of you, to be honest. You didn't but, know, uh, did you? Because I couldn't disagree with you. <laughs> well, yeah, I can't because you said it's mid-table. West Ham are in trouble. Yeah. They're at the bottom of the table and, you know, we just... We just spoke about two or three of the sides that are down there who we think might be the third side that actually get relegated. 19 points, same as Leeds United. Mm. uh, Just one point above the relegation zone. They'll be okay, West Ham. And and what gives you that? I think they've got a a manager who's been there, got the T-shirt. I think Danny Ings, if he can stay fit, will score goals. I think uh, Aged, since he's got fully fit, has proved what a good defender he is. I think it was a good point for them at Newcastle. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll get something here. When was the last time that Danny Ings scored a lot of goals? Well, actually, his record for Villa, considering he wasn't a starter this season, is, is not bad. 
But the problem with certain players, as you talk about different squads now, I mean, he's just had to name his Champions League squad, hasn't he? <laughs> had to leave out, I think he left out Badia Chile. And Aubameyang. Aubameyang. I mean, can you... He's never going to include him. He hasn't done it. Can you imagine uh, you're a new face at a football club and you're panicking about being in the, what is it, a 23-man squad, I think, for the Champions League? I don't think they'd worry too much about it if they've got a 12-year contract, which I think Badi Ashile has got. He's got six six, six and a half years plus a year's option. So I think he probably thinks his future's safe. But I understand what you mean. You've just joined a club. It's going to take all the powers of persuasion and diplomacy to turn around and say, by the way, we've just signed you. We want you to be in the team in the Premier League, but we're not going to put you in the in the Champions League squad. I think more surprising was the fact that Hakim Ziyech was in the squad, mm. bearing in mind that they tried to sell him or loan him right at the very end of the transfer window, mm. which seemed particularly... And, and uh, I know they spent a lot of money, but do you think the... And I, what I mean by this is, do you think the, they've overspent on the players that they've brought into well, the no club? There's no doubt that they have, Mickey. I mean, look, they, they've, they've, they've done it to, to make a statement. They've gone for younger hungrier players that they believe have got the right character to develop into well-beaters at times. But they play well-beater prices already, which seems strange because usually the, the MO is you buy younger, hungrier players at a smaller price and then sell them on for a big and inflated one. You improve one. them. But Chelsea have bought them at a high inflated price with the hope that they're going to inflate that price even further down the line. I'm not necessarily sure that there's going to be much market or too many clubs in the world that are going to play over £100 million for all the players that they managed to, to get their hands on. I mean, Mudrik, for example, £88 million quid. He looked, he was obviously off, off the pace because he was ill earlier in the week. But he he may well be a world-beater, but is he ever going to cost £200 million? Because really, unless he does, Chelsea aren't going to make any money on him because with wages and the, the transfer yeah. fee, that's how much they've already committed to him. Well, here's, here's a question for you. Now... I think we've talked in the past about certain players have come through the door at Chelsea and not been Graham Potter's signings. Mm, yes. Now, they've just made a this lot of signings. Right, OK, so do you think, he, because of how much money they spent, he's under pressure to play those players? Um, I don't know, because there's so many of them. You can't technically get them all into the team, can you? It's and I think with the long, long-term long contracts that Sam's alluded to, I think, I think a lot of the players they've signed are seen as... Players for the future, maybe not necessarily to come in and, and make an immediate. Yeah, but is that future going to be under Graham Potter? Which is what I'm saying to you, because you know, there's obviously been murmurs, there's talks. I mean, we know that Chelsea can just say bye bye to anybody that they want to. They've obviously had a lot of managers over the years, but they've been successful. Pretty much most of them. He's got to be feeling that heat now of thinking, I need something to happen before the end of the season. I think they they spent a lot of energy building a team around him. I mean, mm-hmm. Paul Wynn Stanley coming in from Brighton was a big part of sort of shoring up Graham Potter's position. And they've had this sort of viewpoint that the old regime of chopping and changing wasn't the way they wanted to go, the new owners. I think they'll look at, if they're sensible, they'll look at Arsenal, they'll look at Liverpool, they'll look at Manchester City, the, the clubs that have been successful over a recent period and see that stability is actually really important. Mm-hmm. I think now... It's so important to have stability at a football club because the costs involved in removing a manager are high. And I'm not just talking about paying a manager off because that's small fry in comparison to the associated costs, which are paying off the staff, rebuilding a new management team. But also, whenever you change a manager, you have to change half the squad because managers have bought in certain players. Managers have got players that they want. Managers have got players that they didn't want that have then got to be reintegrated. So... I think the planning of the squad, which is what Chelsea have 
I mean, I, I hope they've planned it because it did at one stage look rather scattergun. The planning of the squad is so very, very important. But in an interview room, right, okay, so let's, for instance, say, it, in hindsight, Graham Potter loses his job. Yeah. The next time you're trying to bring in, well, the manager to replace Graham Potter, surely the people behind the scenes would turn around and say, look, we've just spent five, nearly five, six hundred million quid in the last two windows. Have a look at our squad. Do you think you can work with those players? If not, then we'll look elsewhere and we'll bring a manager in who, who, who would turn around and say, absolutely, yeah. Uh, do you think when they went out to pinpoint Graham Potter, they've said, right, OK, these are the signings that Thomas, Thomas Tuchel has made. We want you as our manager, but can you work with them players? Because I, I say, I question that because Aubameyang yeah. is right in front of our face, well, who he doesn't, anyone, he doesn't want to. I think Andy Jacobs hit the nail on the head, actually, obviously massive Chelsea fan. And he was saying that they've had a good January transfer window, but it basically just atones for the mess that was the summer. But they haven't they I haven't brought in the player that they needed, which was a striker. They haven't brought a striker. And they need, listen, I said it on air the other day. I think we were together, actually, when we did the <coughs> Manchester United mm. game last week and we were sitting at Old Trafford. It was just after the transfer window had closed. And I said that they'd spent a lot of money but they still th- they've still got three key positions that they need to, yeah. to fill. And that is they need another centre-half because Thiago Silva is mm-hmm. older than Crook. Um, you've got <laughs> um, a centre-forward position which you've already identified and they need a goalkeeper. Kepa's done all right this season. Give over. Did you watch the Fulham game? <laughs> Did you see that? But by and large, I think he's been pretty, pretty solid. They need a goalkeeper. They need a proper goalkeeper if they want to challenge for top honours, that's for sure. He's not top quality. He's not the world's greatest goalkeeper, even though he was the most expensive no, goalkeeper. No, no, I'll give top. you that. I'll give you that. I'm sorry, he isn't. Um, West Ham Chelsea is live on TalkSport at 12.30 on Saturday uh, lunchtime. Fulham against Nottingham Forest. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that as well. Fulham doing particularly well. They're through to the FA Cup fifth round. Uh, Palace Brighton is uh, not really a derby. It's a grudge match. Um, so don't let anyone tell you it's a derby. It's a grudge match. Uh, Palace against Brighton is this weekend as well. It's always fiercely fought. And actually, Brighton have been playing so very well. Palace will fear the visit of Roberto De Zerbi's team. Thank you for, very much for coming into my little man cave, or as Simon uh, Jordan calls it, uh, the sex dungeon. It's not a sex dungeon. It's <laughs> just a man cave. Um, <laughs> although having Mickey Gray here always elevates the... Uh, I was just about to say, it depends who lives here. Yeah, it's just me. It's just, it's just me and my books, really, most of the time. Brilliant. Simon just tries to wind it up. Uh, right, OK. Um, we'll be back on uh, Monday afternoon reviewing all of the Premier League uh, action. And, of course, we've got that huge man, um, Merseyside derby on Monday night as well, live on Talk Sports. So Saturday lunchtime, Saturday afternoon, Sunday, all the goals as they go in on the Sunday session, and then Monday night, the Merseyside Derby, all live and exclusive on Talk Sports. Stick around. That's- the Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, 
edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rustolium.